0: chapter 41, we'll read a verse or two there, Genesis 41, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and there came up out of the river seven well-favored cows, fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And Behold, seven other cows came up after them, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other cows upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed cows did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Then he went back to bed after he took some Alka-Seltzer and some Aspen, and lo and behold, he had a second dream. Verse 5, he dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank, that is, fat and good. And behold, seven thin ears, and blasted, with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured, or ate up, the seven fat and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Let me call your attention to two more things. First of all, a young man who's with us today, Bryce, Bryce Bollinger, is down here near the front. Bryce is in college. This will probably be his last Sunday with us, I think. He goes back to college at Covenant College. He's in school. He's in the university on a baseball scholarship. I want you to pray for Bryce because he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a strong believer. His family uh, believes the gospel, believes the Lord, and I want you to remember him in prayer. And then secondly, we are just so thankful for all of you who've been ill and are with us today. Ruby Perry's with us today and Carl, we thank the Lord for that. Bob Castle and Julie are with us today. Uh, Betty Heathcock has been ill. Several of you have been ill. Brother Turner was sick with pneumonia. We've had some real answers to prayer, have we not? We have. And I hope you'll continue to pray for one another, that you'll contact one another and let folks know that you realize that they're missing in the ranks. Okay? Genesis chapter 41 Let me outline this chapter again for you, briefly. In the first eight verses, we read of the dreams of Pharaoh. Verses 9 through 13, we read of the butler's revelation. He spoke up and said, I remember when I was in prison and I had some dreams, and there was a young man there who told me what those dreams mean. He said that to the Pharaoh, verses 9 through 13. Then in verses 14 through 36, after the pharaoh called Joseph out of prison, we have Joseph's interpretation and recommendation, verses 14 through 36. In verses 37 through 45, Joseph becomes Zathnath Peaniel. That was the name that the pharaoh gave him, verses 37 through 45. Then we read about Joseph's family in verses 45 and 50 through 52, Joseph's family. And finally, we read about Joseph as the Savior in verses 53 through 57. So what we have when we open this 41st chapter is this. The 17-year-old dreamer has now become an interpreter of dreams, he who did not know the meaning of his own dreams is now telling others the meaning of their dreams. He who was thrown into a pit by his brothers has become the governor of Egypt. He who was a naive young man at the age of 17 has become a very wise man at the age of 30. He who was a keeper of sheep will be the keeper now of an entire nation. The nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation at that time in that part of the world. He who was a lowly shepherd is now a prophet, governor, and savior. He who could not save himself will now save not only the entire nation of Egypt, but his own family as well. Now we saw in our last study that Joseph is a teaching tool. We learn a lot through him. He is a wonderful type of Christ, and he is a wonderful example of how a believer should live in this world. And through him, we see our Messiah, and through him, we see how a child of faith should live in this world. Through him, we see our Messiah, and we see ourselves, and how we ought to be living in this world, Joseph Joseph always keeps his eye on his God, his hope in his God, regardless of the cost and regardless of the circumstances. Now today, as I promised, we're going to try to consider five lessons from this chapter. Number one, lesson number one is the obvious lesson, and it is this. The Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt... Not only the Pharaoh, but all kings, all queens, all presidents, all prime ministers, and all dictators, all parliaments and congresses are in the hand of the Lord to do with as he pleases. The God of the Bible is not trying to do anything. I detest it when I hear people say God would like for you, or God wants you, or God would try. Do you mean to tell me that a God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence would like to try to get you to do something? I know the issue, the issue is man's will. I realize that, and I'll have something to say about that in a moment. But just listen to the Word of God instead of listening to what men say. Listen to this passage, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, Like the rivers of water, He turns it whithersoever He pleases. Listen to this passage, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever He has pleased. Listen to this passage, Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35. God does according to His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What are you doing? Who put the Pharaoh on the throne? Who put this Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Genesis 41, on the throne? Well, the same one who put every Pharaoh on the throne. Consider the Pharaoh in the days of Moses, which you'll read about in the book of Exodus. He is mentioned by Paul the Apostle in the epistle of Paul to the Romans. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. And in verse 17, he says, The Scripture said unto Pharaoh... Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. He says, for this same purpose, I raised you up. Let me tell you how Joe Biden got to be president of the United States. Now, there are people who say, well, they were, che- they were cheating about the votes. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but he couldn't be president without the sovereign will of God. Let me tell you how Donald Trump got to be president. He got to be president by the sovereign will of God. Let me tell you how Mr. Nixon and Bill Clinton got to be president. Got to be president by the sovereign will of God. God has something that he's saying to us in these things. And I'm wondering if we're listening. But my friends, neither men nor women occupy positions of power "...without the sovereign pleasure of the Lord. Not a worm can wiggle, not a hair can fall from our heads, but by the express decree, our sovereign permission of the Lord of glory. Did not Lord Jesus Christ say the very hairs on your head are numbered? I've been wondering for a while, while he's doing some subtraction on my head." He's doing subtraction. I don't have as many hairs on my head as I once had. My hair used to grow almost down here about halfway to my, to my eyebrows. And now, not only is it gone back, but I have less hairs per square inch than I've ever had. And the only way I can cheer myself up about that is, okay, Lord, you got a reason behind that. Not one hair, Jesus said, are not the hairs on your head numbered? He says that he calls every star, there are billions of stars. There are other galaxies behind our galaxy, besides our galaxy, and he calls every star by name. Every star is accounted for. The man that's Pharaoh at this time in Genesis 41 is Pharaoh to fulfill the purpose of God and the promise made to Abraham. Who caused Pharaoh to dream? And who gave him the dream that he dreamed? Well, not only is the king's heart in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, but his dreams are too. And here's the point that I wish to make for all of you. When things don't make sense in your life, and a lot of things aren't making sense today, are they? When things don't make sense, remember who is in charge. The president, the judicial branch, the Congress, and the Senate may go absolutely crazy, but they will only end up fulfilling the will of God, just as surely as Pharaoh is going to fulfill the will of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ warned us, Back in Matthew chapter 24, 25, all those passages, he warned us that in the last days perilous times will come. That men will be lovers of themselves rather and ple- lovers of pleasure and lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. He warned us about all of this. Maybe we are that generation or maybe we are in the beginning of that generation. But just remember this, Pharaoh is going to fulfill the will of God. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to do it as it pleases him. But he's going to fulfill the will of God. When this world is as mystified about what is going on as Pharaoh was about his dreams, just trust the Lord and wait on him just as Joseph did. That's lesson number one. Here's lesson number two. Regardless of what may be happening or coming, the Lord has a solution. Regardless of what may be happening, regardless of what has happened to you, what may be happening, what will happen, the Lord has a solution. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man, and the Lord will with the temptation make a way of escape or give you the grace to bear it. It was the Lord who gave Pharaoh his dream, and it is the Lord who knows what those dreams mean, and it is the Lord who will give Joseph the interpretation of those dreams." It was the Lord who gave the chief baker and the chief butler their dreams, and it was the Lord alone who knew what those dreams meant. Now, here's an interesting thing for for you to note, and I'm going to emphasize this today in several ways. To whom did the Lord reveal his solution? These dreams presented problems. The baker, the butler, and now the pharaoh... To whom did the Lord reveal the solution to the problems that would be coming? He revealed it to the one man who was looking to him and trusting him. And that was Joseph. And my friends, if you have come to faith in Christ, it is the Lord who has directed your life. He has moved you in certain directions. He has stopped you from going in certain directions. He has opened doors and he has closed doors. And no matter where you are at this moment, no matter how confusing things may seem, no matter how impossible the way looks, keep trusting him. And he will show you the way through it or the way out of it. He has the solution. He is The solution. Lesson number three those who are taught of the Lord are those who are trusting Him. Say it another way those who are trusting Him will be taught by Him. Those who are trusting Him and are taught of Him will understand what is going on. Only Joseph understood the dreams. Not the Pharaoh, not the butler, not the baker, not the so called wise men, the sorcerers and the soothsayers. We read that in Genesis 41, that none of those people could answer that. If you look at verse 8, Genesis 41, verse 8, he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, that is, the Pharaoh did, and all the wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. They didn't know what in the world it meant, but he revealed it to his man, his child, who was trusting him. Those who are taught of the Lord, those who are trusting him, are the ones who will understand. I'd like you to turn for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2. Wish we could dwell here for a while, but we won't be able to in the interest of time. But at least maybe I can whet your appetite. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Joseph alone understood the dreams. In his generation, Daniel alone understood those dreams. And even part of those dreams, uh, Daniel did not understand when he asked the Lord, what do these things mean? The Lord was telling him some things about the last days, and the Lord's reply to him was, shut up the book. Shut up the book. Those who are in those last days, he said, that are wise, uh, they will understand. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have some encouraging words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Paul said, When I came to you to teach you, in verse 4, he said, I didn't try to impress you with big words and uh, sophistication of reason. He said, My words were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And he said, The reason I did that is I don't want your faith, verse 5. To stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. My friends, as much as I appreciate all of you, as much as I love all of you, your faith must not stand in me or in anything that I teach you, it must stand in God and in His Word. There are too many people today that are drawn to certain teachers and drawn to certain preachers, and they think that they sit right next to the throne of God. That's a fallacious faith. That's a spurious faith. Your faith must always only be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll look at the scriptures and pray over them, he'll give you the interpretation of it. All right, he says, We speak wisdom, in verse 6, among them that are perfect. The word perfect does not mean perfect as in no longer a sinner. It is a word for mature. Those of you who are matured, we speak the wisdom of those who are mature, those who have grown up in the Lord. You're not babies anymore in the faith. You've grown up, and we can give you some meat instead of feeding you baby food. He says in verse 6 uh, that, uh, We speak this wisdom among those that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. In other words, we're not using sophistication here to try to help you. Verse 7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Whence God ordained before the world unto our glory. This wisdom is hidden from the world, is hidden from those who reason as the world reasons. Now watch this, verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. That is, princes means the rulers like Herod and Pontius Pilate and all of those. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. But as it is written, verse 9, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now I've heard that passage quoted a lot at funerals. But that passage is interpreted by the next verse. Verse 10. But God has revealed them unto us. He has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then He says, Let let me illustrate this for you. Verse 11. What man knows the things of a man but the spirit of the man that's in him? Who knows what you're thinking but you? Nobody can know what you're thinking right now but you in your own mind and in your own spirit. I don't know what you're thinking, you don't know what I'm thinking. So he gives this illustration, what man, what, what, who can know what a man is thinking, what's in his mind and heart, only the spirit of that man that's in him. Even so, the things of God no man knows, only the spirit of God. Only the spirit of God knows the mind of God. Now he says, we have received, verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It is the Spirit of God who teaches us about the things of God from the Word of God. And he says, this is what we speak in verse 13. Not in the words that man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then he says, the verse that I quoted earlier to you, verse 14, the natural man receives not the things, the natural man is the psuchikos man. It's a word for, it means the man that's not spiritual. It means the man that's just like he was when he came forth from his mother's womb. He doesn't have the Spirit of God. That's the natural man, the psuchikos man. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they must be spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. I have said before many times, if you have an AM receiver on your automobile, you can receive an AM station. If you have an FM receiver, you can receive an FM station. If you are on Sirius radio, you have to have a Sirius radio receiver in your automobile to receive the signals that come from the satellite of Sirius radio. If you don't have a spiritual receiver, you cannot receive the things that come from the Spirit of God. You must have a receiver. It is God who gives you that receiver. When we submit ourselves to him, when we see our need, when we say, Lord, help me, Help me to understand I cast myself at your feet. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I embrace him as my Lord and my Savior. Teach me, Lord. Did not the Lord Jesus Christ say, take my yoke? To take a yoke, you got to bend down for a yoke to be put on you. Take my yoke, he said. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'll be your teacher. The word disciple comes from a word that means learner. We're not apostles. An apostle was someone who saw Jesus in the flesh. But we are all disciples. We're all learners. And he said, you're my disciples. I'll teach you. You bow to me. I'll put my yoke on you, and you will learn from me. This is lesson number two. Lesson number three. Those who are taught of the Lord are those who are trusting Him. And those who are trusting Him will be taught of Him, and those who are trusting Him and taught of Him will understand. That's lesson two. I'm sorry, I hope I'm not confusing you. That's lesson two. What about in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus spoke in parables? You probably realize this, but the first 12 chapters of Matthew, there are no parables. Then in chapter 13, the Lord Jesus began to speak in parables. And his disciples said, why are you speaking in parables? And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. Because it is given unto you, you who believe in me, you who are following with me, you who are trusting me, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them who do not believe, it is not given, Matthew 13, 11. So here's an example. When the Joseph of the New Testament, the husband of Mary, the mother of our Lord, was confronted with the pregnancy of his espoused wife, a woman to whom he was engaged, and she told him she was expecting a child, he was totally confused. But when the Lord sent a messenger to him, the messenger unscrambled everything for him, and then Joseph understood. When Paul the Apostle was given a thorn in the flesh, he prayed to the Lord about it. He said, I asked the Lord three times, take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, no, I won't take it away, but I'll give you grace to bear up under it. And the Lord told him why he gave him a thorn in the flesh. Paul had received so much revelation that he was in danger of being lifted up in pride. And the Lord said, just to remind you that you're still a mortal man, you're still subject to all the things that all mortals are subject to, just so you can remember that everything you have is by the grace of God, I've given you this thorn in the flesh to keep you humbled down that I might still use you and teach you more things. That's all in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. So the Lord's strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. You know, a lot of us, none of us that I know of like trouble. I certainly don't. I, had a pod- I went to a podiatrist this week because I had something wrong with the bottom of my right foot. Some type of callus or something. And he dug around in a little bit and put some stuff on it. And my foot has been so sore I couldn't hardly walk. <laughs> I've said, Lord, what's that about? <laughs> well, I've, i talk to the Lord about everything. But I have to know that it is for my good and for his glory. And I'd rather walk with the Lord hobbling along than be able to run at full speed without him. Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher who died in 1892, he said this. He said, I doubt I've learned anything life-changing but through trial and trouble. You know, when you start thinking about the Lord and when you call on the Lord in earnest, when you have trouble, when you have trial, when you're sick, when we're weak, then we lean upon the Lord. When we feel strong, we trust in ourselves. When we're ill, we call upon the Lord. We think about death and dying when we get sick. But when we're in robust health, that's the farthest, farthest thing from our minds. Too often, when we're on the mountaintop, we forget the Lord. Daniel said this in Daniel 12 and verse 10. He said, Many shall be purified and made white in the last days, but the wicked shall do wickedly, Listen to this now. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. My friend, if you want to be wise, if you want to understand what is happening, if you want to understand what is going to happen, come to Christ, get in his book, and be taught by his Spirit. Now here we have lesson number three. Lesson number three. Lesson number two, those who trust the Lord will be taught by the Lord. Lesson number number three and number four, I'll put these together. The wise will prepare for the future. The wise will prepare for the future. The Pharaoh was shown that all of his livestock would be destroyed. If you're back in Genesis, you don't have to turn back to Genesis 41. I'll just tell you where it is. In Genesis 41, verses 2 through 4, he had that dream about the uh, the fat cows and the skinny cows. And the skinny cows ate up the fat cows. The message there was all of your livestock is going to be destroyed. Then he had the second dream. And he dreamed that all the crops would be destroyed. That's about the corn, verses 5 through 7. And when Joseph came up and interpreted his dreams for him. He not only interpreted the dreams, he told Pharaoh how to prevent utter disaster coming upon Egypt. So here's the translation. Economic disaster, Mr. Pharaoh, is coming upon Egypt. But I can tell you a way out the time to prepare for the future is the present. If you believe that, right now we are alive and we are, regardless of our state, we are this side of eternity. And I want you to know something. You're here by the grace of God. You might say, well, I don't really know the Lord. Yes, but that's what we call common grace. And you don't, you don't stay in this world apart from common grace. And when the Lord has done all that he's going to do for you and with you, he's going to take you out of this world, and he's going to take me out of this world too. And I want you to understand something. Right now, in time, is the time to prepare for eternity. The time to prepare for the future is the present. Death is coming. Eternity is coming. We live in time, and time affords us the opportunity to prepare for death and for eternity. Solomon talks about the ants. He said, look at the ants. He said, while the, 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 the summertime is going on, they're storing up food and preparing for the wintertime. The bears and other hibernating animals, they go out and they get all of these food and, to prepare for the winter. Well, every child of Adam and Eve, every member of the human race, we all desire eternal life. and We all want to live forever. Are we prepared for it? Because I want to tell you something. This is a little bit different slant than you're normally going to hear. But I believe, according to the scripture, that every human being will live forever. The difference will not be where you live. The difference will be the state of your soul. Suppose they told you you could live in a 10 by 10 box for 10,000 years. You can die when you're 85 or 90, or you can live in a 10 by 10 box for 10,000 years. You can't get out of the box. What kind of life would that be? That would be a life that has no quality to it. You see, it's the quality of existence that makes heaven heaven. It's the lack of that quality of existence that characterizes hell. When we are in heaven, we will be with Christ and we will be like Christ. This mortal shall put on immortality. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So people are going to live forever, but where are we going to live? With whom are we going to live forever? We all have a desire to live forever. The scripture tells us this. In the book of Proverbs, it says that God has put this desire in our hearts and in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon, or rather Moses said, The eternal God is thy refuge. And under him are the everlasting arms. We all want to live forever. We want to live for eternity. We all have a desire to be with God because we were made in the image of God and his stamp is upon us. But what are we doing in time? Make preparation for that. God Almighty has sent his son to redeem his people on the cross and his people are those who come to faith in Christ. Have you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the question. So this is the fourth lesson. The wise will prepare for the future. Here's the fifth lesson. If I can reduce it down to the most common denominator. I would like for you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs Chapter 1 in the Old Testament, if you can find the book of Psalms, which is just uh, about in the middle of the Bible, then following Psalm is the book of Proverbs written by David's son, Solomon. Proverbs chapter 1. Now here's the fifth lesson. Those who are wise will listen to the wise. Pharaoh was wise because he listened to Joseph. Joseph was wise because he listened to the Lord God Almighty. And that wisdom from God came to the Pharaoh through Joseph. Those who are wise will listen to the wise. Now there's a fourfold purpose for these dreams that the Lord has given to Pharaoh. A fourfold purpose as to why he gave Joseph the interpretation of those dreams. Number one, the first purpose is to get Joseph out of prison. <laughs> the second purpose is to fulfill the dreams that God gave him when he was 17 years old. You remember back 30 something studies ago, we learned that when Joseph had those dreams, when he was 17 years old, he dreamed that he was going to be in some exalted position and all of his brothers were going to bow down to him. You Remember that? And it all made them mad. They said, we're never going to bow to you. That won't happen. But brother, it did happen. It did happen. They bowed down to him as we will see, God willing, in future studies. They bowed down to him because if they hadn't bowed down to him, they wouldn't have survived because of those bad years. The first purpose, then, of these dreams is to get Joseph out of prison. The second purpose is to fulfill the dreams the Lord gave him. And the third purpose is to preserve the seed of Abraham. And the fourth purpose is to preserve the line of the Messiah, which comes through Joseph, who came from Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. So the fourfold purpose of these dreams, get Joseph out of prison, fulfill the dreams that Joseph had at age 17, preserve the seed of Abraham, and preserve the line of the Messiah. If these things hadn't have happened, Joseph's family would have been wiped out, and with their wiping out would have been The Messiah, the Messianic line, the the Messiah who is Jesus could never have been born because the whole nation would have been wiped out by this famine. Now these are the real reasons the Lord gave Pharaoh the dreams and Joseph the interpretation. However, the Pharaoh and multitudes in the surrounding countries profited because Joseph could interpret that dream and because Pharaoh believed him. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. I believe it was absolutely miraculous that Pharaoh believed what Joseph told him the dreams mean and how to prepare for them. If you had a dream and you came to me and I told you the meaning of your dreams and the interpretation, and I said, the Lord has told me to tell you to sell everything you have, sell it all, and in seven years... You're going to be twice as rich as you are right now. Just do what I tell you. I wonder how many of you would do it. Well, he hadn't given me a dream like that, hadn't given you one, hadn't given me the interpretation, but to put yourself in the place of Pharaoh. Here's a man that's been in prison. He brings him out. I've heard say that you can interpret dreams. Joseph said, oh no, no. And you can read this in, in uh, Genesis 41. He said, no, no. I cannot interpret dreams, but God shall give Pharaoh an interpretation. God is the one who gave you the dream, and God alone knows what it means. And God will give you the interpretation. He takes no glory no glory upon himself and no credit for himself. So if you put yourself in Pharaoh's place, and you bring a young man out of prison, and he tells you you're fixing to have seven years in which the stock market is going to drop, all the stocks you own are going to go to zero. Now, you're going to have seven years to prepare for that. You're going to have seven good years. It's going to look like the stock market is going to go to 60,000. All of your stocks are going to double and triple and split and everything else, and you're going to be able to buy gold and silver and all the rest of it that got. But in seven years, that's going to run out, and you're going to have seven bad years that will absolutely ruin you. And you know Pharaoh believed him, and I believe God put it into his heart. He said, who can we find such a man? Where can we find such a man as this who has the spirit of the gods in him? And that's when he gave him that strange Egyptian name recorded in verse 45, I believe it is, of Genesis 41. So it was a miracle that Pharaoh believed Joseph. But because Pharaoh believed Joseph, He installed him as governor, and he put his entire economic program in the hands of a 30-year-old Hebrew. And as a result of that, not only was the nation of Egypt spared, but Pharaoh's personal wealth and popularity was increased exponentially. You talk about a popularity poll. His popularity ran near 100% (laughs) after that. Now listen, here's what we call this. Don't forget this. We call this blessing by association. Blessing by association. Solomon is an example. You look at Solomon, he started out well. He was such a wealthy Man. He had more wealth than any, any man has ever had in the history of the world. He had wisdom to govern God's people. But then he married all of these women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. What do you call a man like that? F-O-O-L. You call him a fool. The wisest man became the greatest F-O-O-L. And uh, the Bible tells us that his wives, uh, who came from all of these races, these cultures, I should say, that God told him, "Do not marry into those cultures because those women will pull your heart to worshiping their gods." And that's exactly what they did. Well, Solomon, you've got your temple that you worship Jehovah. I want my temple so I can worship an Aphrodite. Why can't I have my temple? And pretty soon, the scripture tells you this, his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. The Lord had promised him long life, but Solomon did not live a long life. I think he was 50-something years old when he died. Listen, why was he blessed like he was blessed? Because David was his father. He was blessed by association. Over and over again, God tells these kings of Israel and Judah, I'm not going to destroy totally because of my servant David. Blessing by association. Israel is an example. Listen now. You can read it for yourself in Ezekiel chapter 36 and other passages. Israel is not blessed because of their righteousness. They are blessed because of their association with Abraham. That's the only reason they're blessed. They're not blessed because of their righteousness. God himself tells them that. I'm not blessing you because you're righteous because you're not. You're a bunch of rebels. I'm blessing you because of the promises that I made to my servant Abraham. I'm blessing you because of your association with him. The United States is another example. This nation has been blessed because many of its leaders and founders were believers in Jesus as the Messiah. And they set up a government that reflected that. What's that big monument in uh, Washington that's the obelisk? It's just a round thing goes up. What is that? Is that the Washington Memorial or what is that? Very few people know that on the very top of it, it says for the glory of God. Did you know that Washington, D.C. is laid out like a cross? Did you know that? That's all right. Maybe it'll fall off. (laughs) Maybe it'll fall off. Is it going to fall? All right. We'll set it up. I need to move it, don't I? Washington, D.C. is designed like a cross. All of those things have been lost to the people of the United States because we're not being taught. Our children are not being taught that in their schools. They've been taught all kinds of things. The reason we've been blessed now for almost 250 years is because we've been blessed by association of those God-fearing men and women who established this nation based upon the Scripture. And the Pharaoh of Egypt and all of his nation will be blessed not because they know God, They're going to be blessed and spared from starvation because Pharaoh believed Joseph and put him in charge. What do we mean when we pray in the name of Jesus? Or we make petitions to the Father for the sake of Jesus Christ? My dear friends, we are blessed because of our association with Christ. We're not blessed because we are good. We're blessed because He is good. And we have associated ourselves with Him through faith in Him. All right, Proverbs chapter 1. Let's see if we can wind this up this morning. Proverbs chapter 1. What's the purpose of these Proverbs? He says in verse 2 it is to know wisdom and instruction, is to perceive, to make clear the words of understanding, is to receive instruction of wisdom, of justice, and judgment and equity. It is to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and dis- discretion, to give wisdom. That is verse 4. Verse 5, he says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark sayings. Now Pharaoh's dream came from God, and Joseph was God's man. And Pharaoh was blessed because he believed Joseph, who had the mind of God, that is, who knew the will of God. And my dear friends, the wisdom of God begins with faith in and reverence for the Lord. Look at this, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To fear the Lord means to have reverence for Him. It means to have respect for Him. It means to stand in awe of Him. Listen, Jesus The man and Jesus the Christ has become nothing more today than something like a comic book hero. They started making cartoons about Jesus and his disciples. They've started doing plays in churches. They've started doing all this. The scripture says, it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. We've gotten away. We think that the way to reveal Christ, the way for people to come to know God through faith in Christ is by some other means, by plays, by reverence, by singing, by whatever it is. The the central issue must be God's Word, and God Himself as revealed in the Word. Pharaoh was blessed because he believed Joseph, and Joseph had the mind God. Now, the more of the word of God you learn, the more you're going to stand in fear or respect or reverence in awe of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wisdom of God begins with faith in and reverence for God. Now listen, a faith that does not reverence the Lord is a false faith. Speaking of the Lord as the man upstairs, as the big chief, as the head honcho, when I hear people speak like that, I realize they don't know anything about the Lord of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy. What do you have on the front of your Bible? Regardless of what, kind, what translation you have, I bet you you got Holy Bible on there. It doesn't say Loving Bible. Is God love? Yes. But His redemptive love is found only in Christ. You can't find His redemptive love outside of Christ. He's holy. He is the holy God, and he will not put anybody into heaven who's guilty. You know the Bible says that? I will not spare the guilty. But Brother Sasser, we're all guilty. Yes, we are all guilty. But if we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then he sees us in Christ, and we're not guilty. We're pronounced not guilty in and because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of our association with Him through faith in Him. So let me say it again. The wisdom of God begins with faith in and reverence for the Lord God Almighty. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, verse 7, and this leads to wisdom and divine instruction. Now guess who the wisdom of God is? The wisdom of God is Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God manifested, made known, revealed in the flesh. One passage is, uh, we're going to stay right here in Proverbs. You're going to go down to verse 20. One passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, Of him, of God, are you in Christ Jesus, who is of God, made unto us. Jesus Christ is made unto us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and Redemption. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the redemption of God. And Jesus Christ is the one who separates us under God, which is the basic meaning of the word sanctification. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been separated under him through faith. Now, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, verse 20. He pitches wisdom being out here in the streets as people hustle and bustle and go their way in life. We're so busy doing this and busy doing that and busy doing that. And he says outside the wisdom of God is saying, hey, 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 listen to me. God sent me. Listen. And People don't have time to listen. And so here's what we have. Proverbs 1 verse 20. Wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief places of concourse, the business. In the openings of the gates, in the old days they had gates around the city and that was where all the business was conducted. In the city she utters a word saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long will you scorners delight in scorning? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Turn at my reproof. Behold, if you turn, if you turn to me and turn from yourself, turn from your sins, I'll pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words to you. But they say, We'll talk to you later about Jesus. We don't have time about right that. So now comes this word because I have called, verse 24, and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. You set it naught. You set aside all my counsel. You would have nothing to do with my reproof. I'm going to laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you're going to call upon me, but I'm not going to answer you. You're going to seek me early, but you won't find me. Now, let me tell you what this means. If you don't have the Word of God within you, If you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord by getting the word of God in you, then when things begin to fall apart, you won't have anything to instruct you. You'll be calling out to God, but you've neglected all these time and all these years of learning from God's word. So you know what to do. You know he's in charge. You know how to trust the Lord. You realize that all of this will work out for your good and his glory. You won't have that. You'll be in panic city. You'll be going nuts. You'll be going crazy. And that's what this means. Then they'll call upon me, verse 28, but I won't answer. They'll seek me early, but they won't find me. Verse 29, they hated knowledge. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They'd have nothing to do with my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of food should destroy them. But whoever listens unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. For 200 years this nation, at least in part, listened to the Lord, but we're not listening now. And as a result, God will not hear when we call. We spent years trying to get God out of schools. Now, everywhere I turn, people say, pray for our schools. Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to pray to? You already you said, we don't want God in our schools. We, we want to be delivered from the judgment that's coming. We want to be delivered from the circumstances we've created. But we don't want anything to do with God. That's where we are in this nation. And my friends, it's the same thing with each of us individually. If you won't listen to the Lord, and you find yourself in trouble, you find yourself in distress, you find yourself in a pit, it's of your own doing. It's your own doing. Because you wouldn't listen. I have to hurry. I'm going to share something quickly with you. In 1992, Venezuela became the third richest country in the hemisphere. In 1997, it became the second largest purchase of F-150s. In 2001, Venezuela voted for a socialist president. Guess what the basis, guess what his campaign slogan was about? Guess what he emphasized when he was running for office? Income inequality. That's what's going on in this country. It's not right for you to have something I don't have. Even though you've worked for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, not right for you to have it. So now what do we see on TV? We see people, they showed a newscast um, Friday, a, a, a planned raid on a store of about 100 people. They all went in at one time, and they all started stealing and they got what they wanted, and they all 100 of them left. How are you going to stop 100 people? They said, well, we're not really stealing. We're taking back. You're supposed to share with us. It's income inequality. That's what happened. In 2001, they elected a socialist president on the basis of income inequality. They said, you elect me, and everybody will be treated alike. In 2004... Health care was completely socialized. In 2007, all higher education became, quote, free. I'm going to let you in on a little lesson, but don't tell anybody. It's just between us girls. There's a difference between free and free for nothing. There's no such thing as free for nothing. When you get something free, somebody, somewhere, paid for it. And when they promise you free things, you're going to pay for it in the long run. 2009, the socialists banned private ownership of guns in Venezuela. In 2012, Bernie Sanders praised Venezuela for their American dream. In 2014, opposition leaders were all put in prison. They said, if you don't like the way we run in the country, too bad. We'll put you in prison. 2016, food and health care shortages became widespread. 2017, the Constitution of Venezuela and elections were suspended. And in 2019, unarmed citizens were massacred by their own government. It took one generation of progressive leadership to plunge Venezuela into civil war and bankruptcy and that's where they are today in 2022. And if you don't think the United States can be there, just continue to follow and not hear the word of God. And then when we call, there'll be nobody there to answer. I wish we had more time. I'll share some more of this with you next week. God willing. But I got this yesterday. In Valrico, Florida, Grace Christian School. The school asks all the parents who come to put their kids in the school to agree to the policies that they have at the school before sending their children to the school. The school enrolls students from K to 12, kindergarten to 12, and in an email, the school administrator Uh, condemned homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, transgender identity lifestyle. That's what he said. Quote, we believe that God created mankind in his image, male and female, sexually different but with equal dignity. Administrator Barry McKean wrote in June 6, email seen by NBC, Quote, therefore, one's biological sex must be affirmed, and no attempt should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender. Translation, however God made you, that's what you are. Don't try to change that. When you change that, you're spitting in God's face. You're saying, I don't like what you made me. McKean cited verses from the Bible when she said, had to do with elective sex reassignment transvestite, transgender, or non-binary fluid acts of conduct. And he gave these passages, Genesis 2.24, Leviticus 18.1-30, Romans 1.26-29, Romans 5.1, 1 Corinthians 6.9, 1 Thessalonians 4.2-4. Students, he said, quote, Students who are found participating in these lifestyles will be asked to leave the school immediately. The email was entitled, Important School Policy, Point of Emphasis, Please Read, and said the parents must all agree to the policies and procedures before your student may start school in August. Now, the major news networks have that, and they're going to propagate that. you are probably seeing that in the next few days. That was dated August 20th, 2022. You'll probably see that in the next few days. But let me ask you a question. What kind of common sense is it if I stand up here before you today and I say, I am a woman? I am not a man, I'm a woman. I don't want you treating me like a man, I want you to address me like I'm a woman. That's the way I want you to address me. I want you to get rid of the pronouns of he and she, and I want you just to just address me in a neutral way. My friends, that is insanity. That's what the prophets said when they call sweet, beat, uh, bitter sweet and sweet bitter, when they call up, down, and down, up. I must leave you. I'll be keeping here all day long. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my old illustration. The Bible and the earth are our points of reference. If I put you, would you stand together with me? If I put you in a spaceship, and I sent you 100,000 miles out into space, and assuming you could breathe and survive, I kicked you out of the spaceship. You've gone gone 100,000 miles. I kicked you out of the spaceship, and I say, Now I want you to answer a few questions for me. Which way is up? In what direction is down, which way is east, which way is west, which way is north, which way is south? You wouldn't know because your point of reference is the earth. When you're here, you know what up and down is, left and right is, east and west, north and south. But when the point of reference is removed, you don't know anything about those directions. The point of reference for sanity, for wisdom and for knowledge is the scripture. And when we ignore, when we leave this, when we quit defining life and we have another perspective, a worldview of life other than this, then we lose touch of what it means to be right, to be wrong. When a man speaks to me and he says, I don't believe the Bible, but I'll tell you what's right. I said, you can't know what's right. All you can know is what you say is right. But I believe what God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. That's exactly, that's exactly what we believe, and that's what we stand for here in this church. My friends, we've got some rough times coming. Do we hate people? Absolutely not. I don't hate homosexuals. I don't hate transvestites. I don't hate people that are mixed up about who they are. But I want to tell them that you can't know the answers to the basic questions of life unless you seek God in the Scripture. Unless you get this wisdom here, you won't have a clue. And you'll, leave your, you'll live your life confused and you'll die in confusion. And then you'll go out to meet the God who made you, whose handiwork you tried to change. And that's going to be a sad day. There'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, the Lord Jesus said. Because you'll be meeting the God that you didn't even believe in. May God help us in the United States to stand up and to believe something and be lights in a world of darkness. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for for his sake. You will open eyes and unstopped ears and remove the veil from hearts. Father, that you'll turn us again and we shall be turned. You'll draw us and we will run after thee. Call us, O Lord, and we will answer. Send the efficacious call of the Spirit of God upon these United States. Give men and women and boys and girls the holy boldness and intestinal fortitude to stand up for what is right according to your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you've withheld judgment upon us because we have done very wickedly. I pray, O Lord, that you'll change hearts, that you'll affect that Ezekiel 36 change of a new heart and a new mind, that men might begin once again to seek the Lord and call upon him while he is near. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask it for his sake. Amen.